Chapter Five of Countdown by Kurt Becker, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Twenty-one. The days passed quickly, crammed with activity. Father Bolton, the pastor who had been away for so many months, recovering his health, came back, and Ned agreed to serve mass every weekday morning instead of just three days as formerly. Father Carson was away much more frequently now but the pastor was a very friendly and thoroughly pleasant man, and Ned got along very well with him, too. Ned liked to serve daily mass, and his friendship with the priests was a source of bewilderment to Deborah. "'I can't understand it,' she shook her head wonderingly, as Father Bolton's car drove up to her front door, deposited Ned, and rolled away again. "'I declare, I just can't understand it. I always thought parsons and preachers and such were too busy being holy to go traipsing around town like that.' Why, he acts just like you're giving him a whole year's crop of wheat for himself. He likes me, Ned grinned at her. He liked Deborah, and felt oddly protective toward her. He thinks I'm hot stuff, and you know something? He's right. He winked at her extravagantly, and then, in an exaggerated imitation of Owen's tenor drawl, Debbie, give me my breakfast, will you, honey? I haven't had a thing since last night, and I declare I'm starving to death. Deborah laughed, and they went into the kitchen. Ned! she asked, as she moved around the stove, how come you go to church every day? I thought Catholics only went on Sundays. So he told her. All his life, as far back as he could remember, his father, his mother, and he had gone to Mass and Communion every day. My mother used to say that no woman could really ever satisfy a man and make him happy by herself, and she had two men, so she needed extra help. It kept the three of us together, even when Dad was away giving a lecture, or she was somewhere giving a concert. I don't think I've missed a day outside of times when I was sick and couldn't go. It just doesn't seem right to start the day any other way than by receiving the Lord and asking Him to make sure everything goes right, does it? You must have been a very happy family, Deborah said slowly. Oh, we were, he concurred heartily. You miss them, Ned? Sometimes, Debbie, sometimes I miss them like crazy, but one of the things they always taught me is that life never stops, no matter what happens. There's always today to live, and you can make it rich and exciting, even if you miss somebody. Dad used to talk and write about that a lot. A zest for life, he called it. Gratitude for being. I figured that the reason they were killed and I wasn't was because the Lord decided that their work was done, and I still have some job to do, like getting married and having kids of my own, or writing books, or going to the moon or something. So I go to Mass and Communion every morning, and ask Him to help me do as well as possible whatever it is I'm supposed to do. She told him, over a hearty breakfast of pancakes, about the Kingsleys. They were, she said, probably the richest people in town, but there was a tragedy in their life. Robson's mother had gone mad, five years ago, come Thanksgiving, and had almost killed her boy. She had been put away in an institution, and died there shortly afterwards, screaming to be released. Her husband and son had gone somewhere east, to Georgia, she thought, to get away from the scene of the tragedy, and she didn't blame them for that. Somehow, she sounded vaguely puzzled. "'What I can't figure out,' she said, "'is why they came back.' "'I suppose they got homesick,' Ned suggested. "'I suppose so,' Deborah shrugged, without conviction. "'Only I don't remember their liking it here before. Robson especially. He used to be a little bully.' That afternoon, Ned discovered that Robson had changed. He had become a big bully." It happened in the gym where the basketball squad was practicing. Mike was running what he called a fundamentals drill in dribbling, passing, and ball control when Kingsley came into the gym wearing shorts and basketball shoes. 
"'May I join in?' he called. Mike nodded, and the practice went on. Robson was strong and agile, and handled the ball well. Ned admired the smooth grace and precision of his movements, and gradually Ned became aware that the practice was a little bit rougher than usual. Mike insisted on a perfectly clean style of play. "'This is a game of skill,' he would say, "'not brute force.' More games are lost by fouls than any other way. Don't touch the man you're covering. Inside of five minutes, Robson Kingsley managed to bump hard against practically everyone on the squad. Ned could see the coach getting annoyed. His face became slowly more and more expressionless. Kingsley, he said quietly, cut out the rough stuff. Yes, sir. The boy nodded and smiled, but his expression was not quite pleasant. Sorry, sir. Ball-handling drill was followed by calisthenics. The coach insisted that to play basketball well, it was necessary to be in tip-top condition, and the early days of practice consisted of two parts. The first one, when the players were fresh, was given over to the techniques of the game proper, to developing ease and deftness in handling the ball. The second half was given to a routine of exercises calculated to toughen the muscles and develop the wind. It was a rugged program, with the coach himself participating and keeping an eagle eye out to ensure that everybody did everything. There was no time to rest. Push-ups, sit-ups, and stretching and limbering exercises for chest, back, leg, arm, shoulder, stomach, and waist muscles followed one another without let-up, until every muscle was quivering with fatigue, and the breath came in and out of sweat-streaked bodies with great heaving gasps through dry throats. Ned had spent hours and hours during the summer engaging in just such workouts, and as a result he was already in excellent shape. He enjoyed it, despite the fact that it was grueling. But Robson Kingsley, who for all his beautiful physique was not in particularly good condition, found it, apparently, too much to take. At the end of the second lap of a twenty-lap run around the gym, he dropped out and sat panting near Walter Drew, who was sitting on the bench watching. Walter was a student manager at basketball. Kingsley picked up a Turkish towel from the bench, dipped it in the bucket of cold water beside Walter, wrung it out, and proceeded to wipe his red face and heaving chest with it. Gradually his breath evened out, and he kept watching the others, running doggedly around the basketball court. "'This is ridiculous,' said Kingsley. "'I never knew anything so silly.' "'That's just because you're a little out of condition,' Walter replied cheerfully. "'A couple of weeks from now you'll enjoy it.' "'The coach must be nuts.' We've had good teams ever since he took over, Walter remarked. He knows his stuff. I think he's a drip. Kingsley glared at Walter. That's your opinion, the other said placidly. You're entitled to it. Personally, I think he's a fine coach. A lot you know about it, you and your leg. I've as much right to my opinion as you have to yours. The color drained out of Walter's face, and his voice took on an edge that made it carry. For a moment there was silence, then Kingsley swung the wet towel and struck Walter full across the face with it. There was a loud smacking sound, followed by a dull thud, as Walter, attempting to pull back from the unexpected blow, lost his balance and fell backward, over the bench, his metal-braced leg striking the floor with a clatter. Ned turned in mid-stride and raced over to his fallen friend. Walter's face was twisted with pain and shocked with surprise, but he managed a tight-lipped smile to show he was all right. Ned helped the boy to his feet, and then he glanced at Kingsley, who was watching, towel in hand, with a satisfied expression on his face. Something exploded in Ned's mind. With a single, lithe motion, he snatched the towel from the astonished Kingsley, gripped the two ends in one hand, and swung it like a fly-swatter against a smirking face. 
right, left, right, left. Robson threw up his arms to protect his face, and Ned switched his attack to the other's body, the wet cloth striking with a loud, satisfying slap half a dozen times against the bare flesh, until Kingsley suddenly turned and ran. Stop it! Ned heard Mike's voice through the red mist of his anger, and the fury drained out of him. Without a sound, he wadded up the towel and flung it after the retreating back. His hands were quivering. He was trembling with anger. You all right, Walt? The coach's voice was carefully controlled, tight. Good. Okay, fellows, get your showers. See you tomorrow. Ned found Kingsley in the shower room, the marks of the towel clearly visible on his chest and sides. Without a word, Ned turned on the hot water and stepped under the spray, feeling the tension and anger washing away. Kingsley glared at him, but said nothing, until they were toweling themselves dry outside in the locker room. Kingsley's locker was opposite Ned's, beyond the long wooden bench. As he finished, Kingsley drew himself up to his full height and gingerly touched one of the welts on his chest. "'I'll burn you for this,' he rasped. "'You lay one finger on Walter Drew again,' Ned said very distinctly, "'and I'll make you regret it as long as you live.' Only a coward and a bully would hit somebody with his leg in a brace. For a long moment their eyes met, the dark eyes smoky with fury, the blue ones icy with scorn and contempt. Then Kingsley turned his back, and Ned finished dressing in silence and went home. End of chapter 5